Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. Americans love rags to riches stories, believing hard work and talent, not connections, should be rewarded. But meritocracy has come under scrutiny, with some questioning how well America lives up to its ideals, while others ask if they're even worth striving for. In this episode of Political Economy, we'll discuss whether meritocracy succeeds in pulling talent up from the bottom, or if the system has become hopelessly rigged by the already rich and powerful. To answer those questions, I brought on Adrian Wildridge. Adrian is the political editor and Badgett columnist at The Economist. His latest book is The Aristocracy of Talent, How Meritocracy Made the Modern World. Adrian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I think almost every word on the cover of your book will be triggering to some people. The word aristocracy, the word talent, of course, the word meritocracy, even, even the uh, nice endorsement from Francis Fukuyama. But before we get into why people might find it triggering, I'll just give you a couple of minutes to, uh, to, to kind of walk us through your, uh, your thesis about how meritocracy made the modern world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, meritocracy essentially means judging people on the basis of their innate abilities rather than on the basis of their polish or their social connections or their social status or their birth. And I think it also implies some sort of broader commitment to equality of opportunity or at least very uh, significant educational opportunity provided by the state because it would be impossible for people reasonably to compete in a modern economy unless they get access to these things. Now, you might think, well, who could object to that? It's sort of, um, it's sort of uh, uh, motherhood and apple pie, but many, many people do object to that, and many people throughout history have objected to that. Uh, most countries have not been meritocratic. Most societies throughout time have been based on principles of um, being born into your social status um, or the principle of dynasty or the principle of patronage or indeed the principle of buying and selling offices which before modern time times was absolutely widespread so i think that meritocracy is fundamental to the creation of the modern world the modern world was basically created by a succession of meritocratic revolutions against aristocratic societies, societies of patronage and ascription. Um, obviously, the American Revolution, which was very much a revolution made um, by um, people in favor of a natural aristocracy as against an artificial aristocracy. If you look at Hamilton, Jefferson, Madison, um, they're constantly talking about na natural aristocrats uh, and contrasting them with um, artificial aristocrats, by which they meant landed landed gentlemen. Or if you look at the French Revolution, again, that's a revolution made on the basis of careers open to talent, uh, replacing uh, an inherited landed elite with people who deserve their position. And also the British uh, liberal revolution in the 19th century, open competition, examinations for civil service positions, all of those are about meritocracy. And I think that was the principle that laid the foundations of the modern world. And it was the broadening of meritocracy, bringing in uh, women, ethnic minorities, working class people into that framework of um, 
promotion on the basis of talent, examinations, open competition, that really created the modern world as, as, as we now see it. And you write that the surest sign a country will be economically successful is not you know, the health of its democracy or its debt to GDP ratio or something, but it's really its commitment to meritocracy. So I want you to just kind of flesh out that link a little bit more. Absolutely. I mean, there's been a, a, a significant range of thinkers, particularly in the 1990s, who said that what really made society successful, dynamic, and uh, you know, economically prosperous was democracy. And that in order to become one of the, 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 these dynamic societies, you had to introduce democracy. Um, and that in some ways is inspired the Bush doctrine, it inspired a lot of liberal interventionism. And I think that's a false positive. Not that democracy is, is, is a bad thing, but I think that democracy is not the key to prosperity. The key to prosperity is in fact meritocracy. So prosperous societies um, can be, um, it's, I mean, modern societies can be prosperous without being democratic. Uh, look at Singapore, which is, is, is only very vaguely meritocratic, or look at China, which is an autocracy. They have succeeded and they continue to succeed by the, by the by day of introducing meritocracy, open competition, examinations, performance-related uh, promotions, and things like that. So that is the, the, the single differentiator specifica of successful societies. And I was, you know, that, that's one, I think if you look at um, companies, I think companies that are public, that are openly traded, are much more successful than family companies. If you look at uh, more broadly at societies, societies that make a big attempt to be meritocratic, like, uh, let's say Sweden are much more su successful in societies which are not meritocratic like uh, Greece or, or, or Italy, which are still based on clientelism and nepotism. So I, re I really think it's meritocracy, which is the essence of, uh, of, of making societies successful economically. And the question is, do we tie, uh, you know, to tie meritocracy to de democratic societies or do we tie meritocracy to, to authoritarian societies as China is trying to do today? So democracy is great, but it needs an extra add-on and that add-on is meritocracy to make it economically prosperous. This notion is triggering even offensive to some people. So what is that argument exactly? Is it that a meritocracy is good, but that's not what we have in the United States and uh, some other rich countries? Or is it that the whole notion is, is wrong? So if you create a meritocracy, it would be a bad idea. Uh, a great question, because both is the case. Um, there are many people who say, well, meritocracy is great in theory, but we don't have it uh, at the moment. We have something that's a mockery of meritocracy. And because people claim that it's meritocracy, they're sort of doubly lying. They're claiming that their position is based on merit when it's in fact based on, you know, inherited wealth or things like that. So that's one critique that we that it's a, a we don't have it. The other critique would be even if we could create a meritocracy and turn America into the, the to a true meritocracy rather than the, 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 the sham that it now is, even if we could do that, it's a very bad thing. Um, because meritocracy enshrines all sorts of position uh, things such as competition, such as 
um, constant sorting of people on the basis of, of, of ability, and those things are wrong. So the person who actually invented the term meritocracy was a man called Michael Young in 1958 in his sort of brilliant book, The Rise of the Meritocracy. And that wasn't meant to be a celebration of the meritocracy, as many people have taken it to be. It was a condemnation of the meritocracy. He thought meritocracy was a terrible thing because it smuggled the idea of competition into what should be a socialist uh, vision of the future. And because it made everybody who su succeeded intolerably smug and everybody who failed absolutely wretched because they couldn't blame anybody but themselves for their failure. So two very different critiques of meritocracy, which actually get muddled up in lots of people's minds. Uh, let's focus on that first critique. Um, that it would be great to have one, but what we have now is a, a mockery, a sham meritocracy. I think some people will see things like, uh, like in the United States, the, uh, the the college entrance scam, where you had a bunch of rich people, Hollywood people, basically buying their way into good school, and they'll point that as just one example uh, of how the U.S. just isn't a meritocracy, if it ever was, but certainly not anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the most um, serious criticism that we have of the meritocratic idea. And it's indeed a criticism that to a very, very significant degree I share. I think we are, America is, Britain is, uh, a meritocracy in the broadest possible sense, that the meritocratic revolution, which says everybody should be judged on the basis of their individual abilities, is very broadly accepted uh, by people. Um, discrimination is outlawed. Um, most employers and education institutions make some sort of attempt to um, look for people's promise and, uh, and abilities and select them on that basis. They make an attempt. It may not be a very honest, honest one. But what has happened uh, in the last few years is I think you've got a marriage between merit and money, um, between meritocracy and plutocracy, which is very, very corrupting. It means that people who are born to privilege can buy for themselves better education. And because they can buy for themselves better education, they have a higher chance of getting into uh, the best universities and the best jobs. Now, clearly something like the, the college tuition, uh, the college entrance scam where people were literally buying uh, places, uh, that, 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 that's illegal and uh, legal action has been taken. But what people who are saying that meritocracy is a sham uh, are really saying is that just, you know, it's, it's the legal version of it that's a sham because people who are born into privilege just spend so much more money on getting ahead, getting their children educated, that they just have much bigger chances in, in life. And because they're sort of congealing at the top of society, because uh, knowledgeable, educated people are transmitting their privilege to their children, you're getting lower and lower levels of social mobility. Uh, and social mobility is, 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 is low in America, low and it has been, low in Britain, low and it has been, uh, and also low compared with much of mainland Europe. And I think that that critique is true. But the question is, how do you deal with that problem of the, 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 the sort of uh, the calcification of society? Do you deal with by, by reducing meritocracy, by, getting, by, by having much less meritocracy, or do you deal with by, by you know, putting the, uh, your, your foot on the accelerator and having more meritocracy? And the argument of my book is that you need to have more meritocracy. To have a meritocracy, you, you also need to sort of focus on, on downward mobility, right? I mean, it's not, the easy part is saying like, oh, we want to have more kids in college, or, we, or maybe we'll give them vouchers so they can take SAT prep classes. But the other half is 
wealthy people are still going to devote considerable resources to, to their children? Do we, do we prevent them from, from doing that? That seems like a much harder question, ensuring more downward mobility. Sure, absolutely. Um, I think the first thing that we need to do is to complete the meritocratic revolution in the formal sense. So if you look at Harvard University now, um, only between 20 and 40% of places, somewhere between those two, um, are uh, given away on the, on the basis of, of um, pure academic performance. A huge number of places are reserved um, or not, not reserved, a, a, a given, uh, a hooked to various uh, things such as whether your parents went to Harvard, whether your parents teach at Harvard or a member of the staff of the university, athletic scholarships, do privileges for donors, um, all sorts of things will, will get you in. And plus, obviously, affirmative action and things like that. And we've seen lots of, you know, because of the law cases brought by Asian students, we've seen lots of uh, ways in which that university, and I think that's it's also true of many, many other universities, deliberately um, tip uh, the scales in favour of already privileged people. So I would be in favour of getting that, getting rid of that, and giving 100% of the places to on the basis of pure academic merit. I think that's one thing that we could do, and that in itself would be uh, a revolution. But I think we need to go much further than that, uh, because we need to start um, helping people much earlier on in their educational journey, because it's, you know, by the time you're 18, a lot of the, the damage of, um, of poor background and poor opportunities has been done. So I would be in favor of um, academically selective schools, such as the ones that uh, uh, flourished in New York and have flourished for over a century in New York, and of um, allocating places in those schools on the basis of objective tests, SATs, IQ tests, tests that try and read through your sort of um, achievement and polish and look at your raw intellectual ability. Um, and I think America's moving in exactly the wrong direction here. I, the idea IQ tests already controversial and there are schools trying to move away from SAT yeah. because they feel like that is enshrining privilege because you know poor kids can't take SAT prep classes. Absolutely. But the question is, what is the alternative? And I think it's, uh, you know, there's a, a, a wealth of scientific literature, which shows that however much you can game SATs or IQ tests, um, they're less class biased than other forms of selection, of which the most absurd, of course, is the sort of what I did on my holidays, what I did in my gap year, um, you know, or teachers assessments, or, you know, personal statements and that sort of thing. But the earlier we take these tests and the earlier we have selection, the better. But what you're doing in America at the moment, uh, and I think this is profoundly misguided, um, is to um, get rid of things like Boston Latin School, get rid of things like the Lowell Academy, Lowell School in San Francisco, instead of selecting, they're replacing selection on the basis of academic uh, attainment and um, examination performance with a lottery. Now, I think that that is taking schools which have a long tradition of providing opportunities for immigrant groups in particular, less wealthy people uh, in general, and essentially destroying them as academic uh, institutions. Now in Britain, I'm glad to say, and here I think we're much wiser than, than you are, we're doing exactly the opposite, that we have a bunch of schools 
uh, in uh, Britain called academies, which are able at the sixth form level, at least, to select people on the basis of academic ability and uh, their ability in particular subjects and teach them very, very hard and very, very rigorously. So one of these schools, um, which is in the East End of London, um, now gets more children into Oxford and Cambridge uh, every year than Eton does, despite having many, many pupils from ethnic minority backgrounds and many pupils um, who come, who have free school meals, which is a measure, measure of poverty. It's called the, the Brampton Academy is the, the most successful of these, but there are several of these schools. So um, it's, there are many paradoxes here, but actually the more that you try and uh, implement egalitarian policies at schools, the more you get rid of, of, of setting or examinations, the more you actually um, do down poorer people and privileged, uh, already privileged people. So the classic example of this in Britain was comprehensive schools. We used to have a system of selective education, grammar schools, uh, so a, a, a tested 11 plus to see whether you got into these grammar schools. These were abolished in the name of comprehensivization. And the result of that was levels of social mobility via education went down. Um, because um, instead of selecting people on the basis of academic performance or performance in the 11 plus examination, you just uh, let middle class people go to middle class comprehensives, working class people go to working class comprehensives. You delayed selection later and later and later into life. And once you delay selection, it becomes an endurance race. And the people who win the endurance race are those, race, those who've got parents who are capable of supporting them and nurturing them for longer and longer in their in their careers. What seems more likely to you that Harvard reduces legacies and becomes more merit-based, scenario one. Scenario two, Harvard just gets a lot bigger where they just start allowing more kids in and therefore you can uh, keep the legacies but now you'll have a, a, just a lot more students going uh, to Harvard or is it that they don't do anything and nothing changes. Uh, C, by far, is the most likely uh, outcome. Uh, these institutions are incredibly conservative. Part of their value to their um, pupils is rarity, scarcity. So they don't want to increase the number of pupils. And you have to understand that this legacy system is utterly, utterly corrupt. I mean, it's absolutely appalling. What you're doing is systematically discriminating in favor of the most privileged people on the planet. But you have a system whereby the academics who are in charge to make these decisions are in on the game. They're in on the corruption because they get their children into these institutions um, on the basis of, of favoritism. So they, they love that. They love perpetuating it. So you've got a whole bunch of people who say, for example, oh, we must be we must have diversity. We must have more people from minorities, whilst at the same time making sure that their own children um, you know, are, 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 are given uh, an, an easier ride and don't suffer from the you know, relative decline in the number of places. So it is, it, it, it is an utterly corrupt uh, and I think appalling uh, sort of uh, appalling system. I, I would just get rid of all of these legacies, all of these prefer preferences for, 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 the, for, for the staff and the faculty. Um, all of the ath ath athletic things, and of course, get rid of the system whereby people can, can pay for buildings and get their children uh, on some special list and do it purely on the basis of academic merit, by which I mean achievement, but I also mean promise, you know, people's promise in the, in the, in the long, long term, have a purely meritocratic system. And I'm saying this not just because I think it's immoral 
uh, to have a system that isn't meritocratic, but also because America, for the first time in its history, faces a, a competitor which could be more powerful than it is. And I think, you know, um, it needs to strain every sinew in order to compete with, with, with China. So a lot of this debate, debate is about cognitive skill. And I've had some people say to me, uh, you know, maybe in hushed tones, and they'll say, look, there are not a bunch of, we're not missing a bunch of Einsteins and Edisons that the that people who are wealthy in this society are people who who do very well in 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 a in an economy which is more about cognitive ability. It's, it's more knowledge based, and people are simply giving those abilities genetically to their children, who then do very well in these schools. We have a cognitive genetic aristocracy. And all the SAT prep classes and gifted student classes, uh, that those those really aren't gonna those aren't gonna matter. And it is what it is. Absolutely, that is um, a very powerful argument presented by by by, by some people. Essentially, that uh, the United States or indeed Britain, any advanced Western country, is already. Uh, a meritocracy. It's sifting its population fairly relentlessly for people talent. People just don't like how it looks. Uh, yeah, and people don't like how it looks. I think that's profoundly wrong, because I think for two reasons. One is that we just we just haven't reached any uh, maximum of sifting the population. So there are huge numbers of, as it were, Einsteins being left behind, and the sheer numbers of people in the population in general versus the number of people um, in the cognitive elite, in the 1% of people who go to the top universities. You know, there's just too many people for the, for the very top of society to have captured. But secondly, and I think more importantly, it's wrong in terms of the genetics. You have a system of regression to the mean. You have a sort of, you know, as Mendel, uh, noted there's a sort of very arbitrary um, resorting of the population in each generation. The interesting things is, thing is that for various reasons, Mendelian uh, and statistical, children do not I, reflect absolutely their parents, resemble their parents absolutely. Children are quite often very different from their parents. They have different abilities, less abilities or more abilities. And this sort of genetic lottery means that you have to keep selecting uh, in each generation. You have to keep moving people up or down in each generation um, in order to match ability with position. So I think it's a misreading of, of genetics. And I think it's quite interesting, actually, that environmentalists tend to be anti-meritocracy. Hereditarians tend to be pro-meritocracy. But if you're an environmentalist, you would have you tend to think that your children should be exactly like your parents. They should reflect the privilege of your parents. It's the Mendelian genetics which explains why there are all these huge differences between the abilities of, uh, of fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and the rest of it. So genetics means by its very essence, a perpetually mobile society. I spend the last few minutes just uh, talking about uh folks who just don't like the entire idea, who, yep. uh, who I'm sure view the book as a defense of the status quo, maybe a defense of white privilege, who think the, the whole concept of meritocracy, it, it, forget about strengthening it, it needs to be shattered. 
So what is the problem people have with that? And who are these people? Well, I, I think there's a huge, uh, we're living in a strange moment uh, uh, now uh, because we have critiques of meritocracy coming from every possible direction. You have critiques coming from the right, people who think that meritocracy is a sort of celebration of this awful cog cognitive elite which sneers at ordinary people. Uh, you have cr critiques coming from you know, people like Markowitz and Sandel, probably in the center, who have philosophical uh, problems with it. But also you have this huge critique coming from the left who think it's sort of propaganda for plutocrats almost, and particularly from Black Lives Matter, who regard it as a way of justifying the privileges of the elite and particularly the white elite. And to that, I would say the interesting thing, if you look at the history of meritocracy, is it's uh, the, the meritocratic idea. It's been by its essence, a revolutionary idea and a constantly self-correcting idea. So if you, if you look back at the American revolution, the idea of merit was definitely something used by educated white men um, to um, criticize the, the rule of, uh, of, of British aristocrats, essentially. But then you have the idea of merit constantly broadened. So you have women coming along and saying, wait a minute, if we believe in open competition, examinations and all of these things, women should be allowed to sit these exams and to be judged by the same standards of men. And lo and behold, they were. Uh, or, uh, or if you look at ethnic minorities, a lot of uh, members of ethnic minorities said exactly the same thing. Uh, you need to judge us by the same standards that you're being judged by. And so you have somebody like W.E.B. W. Du Bois, who wrote a magnificent essay, you know, statement of his meritocratic beliefs in the, so an essay he wrote called The Talented Tenth, becomes the first uh, uh, African-American uh, professor at Harvard. And he's saying, judge us by the same standards and we will prove that we can do just as well as you. So I think this is, you know, it, far from being a celebration of the status quo, meritocracy has always been a radical discombobulating idea which shapes up every possible uh, status quo. What does it look like if we sort of give up on this and do something else? What does that society look like? Well, I think that's, you know, it's, it's in many ways not what if, but, um, you know, when, uh, because America is engaged at the moment in a huge revolt against uh, meritocracy. Um, you have SATs being got rid of um, for admission to lots of universities. Um, you have, as I said, uh, Lowell School and Boston Latin School getting rid of um, examinations and replacing them by lotteries of, uh, 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 of all things, you know, essentially blind admission. Um, uh, lots of attempts to get rid of gifted uh, education programs. So you have all of that going on. And I think what happens if you do that is that you get a society in which positions are given either arbitrarily or on the basis of political power. So you have groups of people um, banding together um, on the basis of various identities and saying that we as a group should be given um, these things because we are a powerful group and we'll make a lot of noise if we don't get them. So instead of a system based on deserts in which people win prizes on the basis of effort and ability, you have a system of spoils in which people get public positions, educational positions on the basis of um, organizing as pressure groups, really. And I think that all of that's bad because it creates a constant system of, of agitation and competition 
uh, not in the good sense of, of, of people all striving to learn things, but in the bad sense of people all agitating uh, for spoils. But the other thing is that America is not the only country in the world. America, as I say, is confronted for the first time ever by another superpower, uh, i.e. China, a, a country that's growing very fast, much faster than we ever thought it was, and a country that is determined to use this idea of merit to advance its own interests. And China has lots and lots of stake in this. China was, of course, the first country to you know, create a mass examination system. You know, it was a society which introduced exams before, far before the rest of the world, uh, had them for century upon century upon century. At the height of the Chinese Mandarin system, about 10% of the population were sitting these exams. So they have a long experience with this. Those exams sort of, uh, degenerated because they failed to keep up with the times. They're all tests of Confucian thought. They ignored modern science. They, 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 they ignored engineering technology and the rest of it. And then they collapsed at the beginning of the 20th century. But now they're back. And this time, the Chinese are not testing just for your knowledge of Confucius, but they're testing for your knowledge of science, engineering, all the things that computers, all the things that make the modern, modern world. So you have this, this, this examination state back in a major way with a huge uh, education system, massive investment in universities, massive investment in a very competitive mass educational system, but also using meritocratic me methods to select and promote civil servants, a big growth in state capacity. Now, if we have a world in which China is harnessing the meritocratic idea to reinforce the power of the Communist Party, the Communist State, and America at the same time is dismantling meritocracy or softening meritocracy, as I say, this thing that can be demonstrated as to be a key to prosperity. If you have these two things going on at the same time, America loses. China becomes a massive version of Singapore. America becomes, I don't know, a version of Brazil or something like that. And you lose, they win. My guest today has been Adrian Walders, author of The Aristocracy of Talent, How Meritocracy Made the Modern World. Adrian, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much indeed. Mm -hmm.